uh, the, the young bloke from last week, if you were here in chapter 19, there was a, a young bloke having met Jesus, ha- having met the Jesus who is teaching with authority, uh, the Jesus who is uh, working miracles, he- healing crowds of people, having met Jesus, he went away sad, we read. Do you remember why? For he had great wealth. Jesus put his finger, so to speak, on the real pressure point for the, for the young man. His God was money and that which money can bring. And the young man was unable to leave the coin to follow Jesus. Money can make us feel independent, can't it? Money can make us feel capable, self-assured. Jesus, he spoke to his disciples Uh, of the impossibility of of the rich entering the kingdom of God. He added, though, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now we're we're reading reading Matthew's gospel, one of the biographies of of Jesus' life and, and teaching. And at this point in the narrative, in chapter 19, Peter, one of the early followers, he pipes up and he says, what about us? You know, the the young man, he wouldn't leave the coin to follow you. But what about us? We've left everything to follow you. And they literally had. You know, Peter was a fisherman. He dropped his nets and off he went, journeying with Jesus to Jerusalem, where Jesus, his master, would become Jesus, his saviour, dying uh, on that cross. What about us, says Peter? We've left everything to to follow you. And Jesus pointed Peter and the others to the renewal of all things. To the the new creation. To life eternal. Which begins the moment you put your trust in Jesus. But but is finalised when Jesus returns and runs into eternity. To hang on to your money as priority or or whatever else, instead of surrendering your life to Christ, is to miss out on life eternal. To hang on to your money or, or whatever else, instead of asking God for forgiveness through the sacrificial death of Jesus and getting on with living for God's glory, not yours, it's to miss out. We've left everything to follow you, says Peter. Yes, Jesus says, and he points to life eternal. Anyway, I I say all of that because it leads to Jesus telling a parable that was just read for us in chapter 20. And you know a parable is a story with a meaning. As it was read, you may have realised that this is no explanation on how to run a business. You run your business this way and and you end up bankrupt. But verse 1, what is it? It's a lesson on a particular aspect of what God's kingdom is like. Uh, Just look at verse 1 and 2 with me in your Bible. I'll read. Uh, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and, and sent them into his vineyard. So we're to picture God as the landowner 
and he's looking for workers to work in his vineyard. When someone puts their trust in the Lord Jesus, they join in God's work. Uh, The work is not the production of wine, but living for God and his purposes in every different area of life, joining in, in in his mission. And perhaps what is specifically on view here is that, is that gospel mission that others might come to faith in Jesus too. In the setting of this parable, you notice, I mean, some of you only work eight hours a day, don't you? But, but this is a 12-hour work day. And the landowner, he heads to the marketplace to pick up a crew. And it's, it's about 6 a.m., The agreed pay is a a denarius, and you might notice in your Bible there's a footnote that says a denarius is the usual daily wage for a day labourer. So the landowner, he goes and he chooses a crew. Uh, The details are sorted out and they get to work. Three hours later, though, around nine, the landowner's back in the marketplace looking to add to his crew. Now, we're we're not told why those who are there at 9am, why they're standing around doing nothing. Maybe they were just lazy and slept in. Maybe it was a big night last night and so they slept in. But Perhaps they were there and they went unnoticed. Maybe it was clear they weren't going to be the best workers. In any case, verse 4, the boss says he'll pay them what is right. And they get on with work. But the landowner, he's adding to his crew, isn't he? He keeps this up again at midday and again at three in the afternoon and again adding to his crew just before knockoff at five in the afternoon. I mean, he'd be lucky to get any work out of that lot. And you notice when the landowner asks in verse 6, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Their answer in verse 7 is simply because no one had hired us. Choosing workers for the labour force must be a bit like picking a footy team, don't you reckon? When there's plenty of labour available, I'll I'll take you. Uh, I'll take you. Yeah, I mean, you pick the strong ones, don't you? Uh, the, the powerful-looking ones, the capable ones first, and you choose the oldest, the unskilled, the weakest, last, if at all, as they'll just likely be unproductive. These people hired last, well, perhaps they've been standing around all day because no one wants them. You notice if we're reading Matthew's gospel, many of the people that Jesus has been calling to to come and follow him, in the the broader context of Matthew's gospel, there have been those uh, who you might pick last, if not uh, just leave altogether. The, The dependent little children, the leper, the blind men, a paralytic, Matthew, our writer, was a dodgy tax collector. Don't pick him. Um, I've had a little bit of concussion lately, uh, which has meant 
that instead of me reading to Jen at night, which is something we, we occasionally do, she's reading to me. It's great. Um, if you haven't read the uh, uh, Warriors of Ethiopia book, um, you, you must. It's about how the gospel spread throughout Ethiopia. Uh, and Jen tells me I'm not allowed to use any more illustrations from that book. I'm basically reading it to you um, if you've been around for a while. But a story from the other night... Uh, there, there was an Ethiopian bloke who wanted to be an evangelist. That is, he wanted to take the news of Jesus to a tribal group in Ethiopia, a particular group. He felt that this is what God wanted him to do. Uh, in Ethiopia, uh, to be an evangelist, it actually does mean being strong. They would have to hike for, for kilometre after kilometre. But this bloke, he was a cripple. Uh, and he hobbled along, I think it was with a stick or, or, or something. Uh, the, the Christians in that region, they would have like a, a Christian convention. There would be Bible teaching and, and singing and, and prayer. And they would, they would commission and send out missionaries. This bloke, he kept putting his hand up to be a missionary. He, he kept going forward, send me. And they said, sorry, mate, you can't. You're a cripple. It just wouldn't work. One year he just went anyway. He got sick of it. Uh, it obviously took him a long time to, to hike to the, the village where he was uh, going, hobbling along. But when he arrived, unlike all of the other visitors that went to this tribal group who were killed, this bloke was welcomed. It turned out that this particular tribal group respected no outsider, but they respected cripples. And so instead of killing him, they listened to him. Uh, and he, as he shared the gospel with them, over time, a couple of hundred people in this people group surrendered their lives to Christ. Yeah, the next year, you, you picture the Christian convention the, the, the crippled bloke hobbles to the convention uh, with a number of these new converts walking slowly alongside him uh, just to keep pace. Uh, that year they approved him to be an evangelist. It's a good story, I, I reckon. It, it's the upside-down nature of God's kingdom, isn't it? Sometimes in our strength, with our gifts, with our hard work, we can think that God needs us or that God even owes us. But it is just not that way at all. <laughs> Maybe some of those who were picked up at, at 5pm were a bit like that cripple. Humanly speaking, pretty useless. But God chooses to graciously add them to his work crew. Maybe that was a bit of a side point because I had a good story, I'm not sure. From verse 8, though, we, we see it's the end of the day and, it, and it's time for pay. Uh, th those hired last are paid first in, in verse 9. It's a bit upside down, really, isn't it? And they're paid, noticed, a denarius, which is amazingly generous. They've done basically nothing and they've been given a day's wage. And you hear the workers that have been toiling since, since 6am, they're thinking, surely, surely we're going to get more than that now. You know, it makes sense. They've gotten a denarius. They were here for five minutes. We'll get a whole lot more. But they end up with the same. 
the agreed amount. And they grumble. You see verse 11 and 12. When they received it, they they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. You ever found yourself sort of thinking that way? The grumbling in verse 11 might remind you of the grumbling of the Israelites who were rescued from slavery in Egypt. They were rescued from the, the terrible rule of Pharaoh, saved from the Red Sea, but as Doug O'Donnell puts it, they died because they never got past their grumbling. They were never grateful for grace. That first generation who were rescued from slavery in Egypt by the Lord, they they didn't ever enter rest. They didn't ever enter the promised land. They perished in the wilderness because they grumbled. Uh, Grumbling might remind you of the the, the older son in that story of the lost son that Jesus tells in Luke 15, that there was that son who who ditched his dad. I want the inheritance early, dad. He got the money and he left his dad, treated his dad like he was dead and he went off and and partied and, and lived it up. But after he'd lost all the money, he came to his senses and he went home and his dad welcomed him in. His dad hosted a celebration but the older brother was wild. He grumbled. He'd been toiling away all all this time, yet the dad puts a party on for the son who squandered the wealth. How is that fair? It's not fair. Sometimes our grumbling can show that we've forgotten the wonderful privilege we have in being one of God's people sometimes our grumbling shows that we haven't actually really grasped the wonder of what the believer has in the Lord Jesus Christ we were made by him weren't we Uh, yes we didn't deserve that he didn't have to make us Every breath is a gift from God. Do you ever do that sometimes when you're just walking? Inhale and exhale. That's a gift from God. Every breath, a gift from God. Forgiven through the saving work of Jesus. A gift from God. Remember our narrative. Where's Jesus going? He's going to Jerusalem where he will suffer and die. We did not deserve that. Adopted as his children, indwelt with God the Holy Spirit, secured for eternity. And you just flick back to Ephesians chapter 1 and you read it and you, and you meditate on that. We cry out, it's not fair. It's not fair, God. You cry that out as you're looking at the bloody body of Jesus hanging on that cross in your place. It's not fair, God. It's so easy to forget that what is fair is that we face God's judgment. 
Someone said that uh, God generously, God's generosity actually takes two forms. He gives gifts that we do not deserve and he withholds punishments that we do deserve. This person says, sadly, many take God's generosity for granted so that amazing grace has become boring grace or cheap grace. Is it boring because we no longer think of ourselves as sinners or at least not as great sinners? You see, don't you, from this, that when it comes to relationship with God, it's not about what you can produce. No matter how long you've been toiling away for the king. It's about God's grace and, and mercy. Thomas Hooker, you may have heard of him, is a famous and faithful Christian. And on his deathbed, after living a long life of, of Christian service, toiling away for the king, a mate of his was wanting to encourage him. Thomas, you're going to receive the reward of your labour. Be encouraged. As quick as a flash on his deathbed, Thomas said, no, I'm not. I'm going to receive mercy. You see, it's by grace that we're saved. And it's by grace we go on in the Christian life. Don't muddle that up. You see what the landowner does in the parable with the grumblers, verse 13 to 15? Uh, uh, But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. That's gentle, isn't it? Friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? Of course God can do whatever he likes. If he wants to bring the thief on the cross to salvation in that last moment, so be it. It's easy, isn't it, as we look sideways at others to think it's not fair. As we busily think about ourselves, we're so selfish. We can become envious because of God's generosity to others, saying it's not fair. I work harder than them. It's not fair. I've been around longer than them. It's not fair. But when it comes to grace, God's generosity transcends human concepts of fairness. I think I've told you this before, but I love the way that my mum does presents. Some of you are from those families where the the, the presents have to be even, don't they? Because that's what's fair. There's nothing fair about the way my mum does presents. One year you don't get one. It's a gift. You didn't deserve it anyway. But one year you'll get a wonderful gift that might be worth years and years of gifts. 
When it comes to grace, God's generosity transcends human concepts of fairness. Life and salvation is a gift of God. And we do not ever move beyond this. We will never get to a point where God owes us. This is how the Christian life works, says Jesus. You leave behind the money or whatever other thing it is that you're worshipping as priority. You leave behind the money or whatever else it is. You trust in him. You surrender your life to Christ. We've left everything to follow you, says Peter, and, and he gifts us eternal life. It's all of him. It's the, the gift of God. Even as you hand your life over to Christ, here you go, God, I'm yours. Be my king, be my ruler. Even as you hand your life over, you know there he is at work in you by his spirit. And you get on working for him no matter what time you join the work crew. Our motives for serving God's way is best. Our motives for serving gratitude for his mercy and grace, his undeserved favour, our motives for serving, our greatest joy becomes his glory and not ours. How about we pray about that? Uh, Loving Father, we thank you for this this parable. And Lord, we want to recognise we're in this section of Matthew's Gospel that is that is quite challenging as it shows up the hardness of the Israelites' hearts. And Lord, we're conscious that we too are are prone to the same. That we too have a tendency to worship things aside from you. And sometimes, Lord, that looks like in some ways worshipping ourselves, being entitled, looking sideways and thinking, why are you not giving us more than them? Lord God, forgive us for this, we pray. Help us see the grace that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. That there is nothing that we can do to earn your favour. And that as we trust and follow you, as we live for you, as we toil for you, it's still all of grace and that no one is your debtor. Loving Father, we pray that we would be motivated to work for you as we marvel at how big our salvation in Jesus is. Lord, show us the depth of our sin that we would understand more of how wonderful our Saviour Jesus is. And Lord, when we're tempted to grumble, help us fix our eyes on our King. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.